Uh, today we're continuing in our series on freedom from religion, and this will be the sixth message in this series. And uh, it is Valentine's Day, which is a perfect opportunity to talk about love, and talking about love also fits right in with our series here, and so we're going to talk about love today in relation to religion, in relation to the one thing that Jesus wants us to, to give away to other people. Uh, we've covered a lot in this series. Uh, the last couple of weeks we've been talking about the scriptures and how uh, the scriptures can be dangerous if we don't handle them properly. And we've been talking about how um, the question of what verses do we follow? Because it's not just as simple of as simple as, you know, let's just follow the Bible. Because a lot of the ugliest things in church history and a lot of the ugly things seen in church today, uh, people have Bible verses behind them. Uh, you can pretty much find a Bible verse if you really want to justify anything. You could probably pick something. And so, but talking about this question, how do you know what verses to follow? I mean, do you follow the verses that support slavery or do you follow the verses that say uh, slavery isn't a good thing? Do you follow the verses that say women can't speak in church, or do you follow the verses that say they can speak in church? Uh, do you follow the verses that say there's lots of food you can't eat, or do you follow the verses that say uh, you can eat, that all foods are clean, and, and on and on and on. We've talked about that, and we talked about one of the solutions is to, uh-oh, uh I hit the wrong button here. Oh, is that one opening up in the PowerPoint? Yeah, give us a second. Uh, one of the solutions that we talked about is uh, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. As Hebrews 12, 2 says, says, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. So as you're reading the Bible, you never take your eyes off Jesus as you read every single passage. And so we talked about one of the, the lenses we can use for interpretation is to constantly ask this question, does this verse or text or passage line up with the heart and the example and the life and the teaching of Jesus. And we use the, the spaghetti strainer where we can take, as we're reading the Bible, you take the scriptures and you pour it through the spaghetti strainer of Jesus and, and all of those verses that line up with the heart and the life and teaching of Jesus, we can take those and eat those and say, those are for today and that's how I'm going to live my life. But all those verses that don't line up with the heart and the life and teaching of Jesus, we just kind of let those go. It doesn't mean we, we don't read those passages. It doesn't mean we don't study those passages. I mean, the Bible is inspired, but it just means that all those rules and regulations and commands uh, that, that are not for us today. And as we talked about last week, the, the whole Old Covenant clearly is obsolete. It's completed. It's fulfilled. Uh, we don't follow the rules and regulations and commands found in the Old Covenant covenant. And this is what we talked about last week, that as Hebrews 8 says, that he has made the first one, that is the old covenant, obsolete. Now that it's out of date. We don't follow it anymore. Or as Ephesians 2 says, that Jesus did this by ending the system of laws with its commandments and regulations. Or as Galatians 3 says, now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. We are no longer under the law of the Old Testament. Can we still read it? We can study it. It's, it's our history. Uh, but all those commands and rules and regulations, they don't apply to us anymore. They have been fulfilled, and that's what we talked about last week. Now, within the Old Covenant, 
there were 613 laws or commands. That's a lot. I mean, imagine trying to, to follow that many rules and that many regulations. That, that's, that's a lot. And so some people would say, well, you know, that's a lot to handle, the 613. So, so let's just boil it down to the Ten Commandments. And in a way, you could summarize the 613 commands in terms of the, the Ten Commandments. Well, Jesus comes along in the gospel and actually sums it down even further. He takes the 613, and some people would say you can sum it up in 10. Jesus says you can sum it up in, in two commandments that are actually completely equal. And in Matthew 22, and again, this is under the, the old covenant system. This is still under the, the, new, the new covenant hasn't been in place yet. Still under old covenant. So there's an expert in religious law tried to trap Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And so out of all the 613, well, the 10, what is the most important commandment in all of the law, out of all those commands? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. I mean, it's like Jesus is saying, you can't just pick one because there's two and they're equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. And so Jesus is saying, like, loving God and loving your neighbor is, 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 is what the whole Old Testament is, is based on. He said all the law and the prophets are, are hanging or summed up in these two commands. And so if you're ever reading through the Old Testament and you get confused, you just go back up here. Because Jesus said that the entire Old Testament hangs on these two commands of loving God and loving people. Now, the issue with, uh, of course, the, the commands is there were a lot of loopholes. The Pharisees and religious people of the day found a lot of loopholes in the 613 commands. I mean, we see Jesus at one time pointing that out when they were busy tithing their little mint and their spices and they were missing the important matters in the law like justice and, and faithfulness and, and loving people. But that, that command to, to love God first, you know, uh, people used a loophole. In Mark 7, Jesus points this out to the religious folks. He says, you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. And this way, you let them disgrace their needy parents, so you cancel the word of God. And they were saying, you know, the greatest commandment is to love God, and I can use that as an excuse not to love my neighbor. They use it as a loophole. And I find people today sometimes still do that. They say, you know, loving God is the most important thing that I can use it as an excuse not to love, you know, those people because they're difficult to love over them. They're kind of messy. So I'm just going to spend my time loving God. I mean, there's a loophole. Uh, Jesus was trying to close that loophole when he says these are equal commands in terms of loving God and loving people. Uh, they also use the loophole of Leviticus 19. And loving your neighbor as yourself comes from Leviticus 19.18. And the text says this. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. And so they would see in this text, see, your neighbor is your fellow Israelite. We are being biblical and we are justified. I don't have to love the Samaritan. I don't have to love the Gentile. I don't have to love those that are different than me. I I'm being biblical here. I can just love my fellow Israelite. I mean, taking the 613 commands 
down to two, I mean, there were still loopholes in this whole thing. Now, Jesus was asked, what, are the, what is the greatest command in the law of Moses? What is the greatest command out of the Old Covenant? And Jesus says there's two equal ones. You love God, love your neighbor as yourself. But that, that, again, that's coming from the, the, the Old Covenant, which we have seen. Uh, Jesus closed off the Old Covenant. He, he has made the first one obsolete. I mean, Jesus fulfilled it all. And so, enter the New Covenant. I mean, this is like if you hire a contractor to work on your house and you have a list of 613 things that they need to finish. And you say, out of those 613, there's two that are really, really important. Those must be done. And the contractor finishes all 613 and he especially does a good job on the two. Now that he's finished, the contract's over. You say, contract's done. The contract's obsolete. But then you say, you know, actually, I have some more work for you to do. Let's draw up a new contract. And you list some things in the new contract. This is what Jesus did. He ended the old covenant. It is now obsolete. He fulfilled all the rules, so we don't have to. Now comes the new covenant. So the question is, what commands and laws come with the new covenant? Because the old one had a bunch. Does the new covenant have some? Jesus implements the, the, the new covenant on, during the Last Supper. And at the Last Supper, in Luke 22, it says he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed by my blood. And so here he is bringing in the new covenant. And of course, the expectation is, what commands, what laws, what rules come with the new covenant? Well, right after this, Jesus tells us. Uh, this is sometimes in Galatians chapter 6-2, summed up as, as the law of Christ. You know, the law of Moses had 613 commands. The new covenant has, is the law of Christ. And notice it's singular, the law, because there's actually only one command out of the new covenant. And Jesus tells us what it is. So the Last Supper, he says, this is the sign of the new covenant. And then he gives the command. This is the command of the new covenant. He says, I am giving you a new commandment. Because again, the 613, they're completed. They're fulfilled. I fulfilled those. New covenant, new command. I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. And you can see the disciples saying, what, what do you mean? That's not new. <laughs> That's from Leviticus 1918. Well, wait a minute. It is new because of this. I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. So it's not love your neighbor. It's you love the way I have loved you. And you can imagine the disciples' minds going back to, to seeing how Jesus loved. Like the woman at the well whom the, you know, was not the neighbor because she was a Samaritan. Or Jesus loved the woman caught in adultery. And, and, and Jesus told stories of you know, the, the father running out to meet the prodigal son and Jesus hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And of course, just before Jesus says this, he's washing the feet of the disciples, even the feet of his enemy, Judas, who was about to betray him. And then Jesus is going to go to the cross and give the ultimate example of what love looks like. And, and Jesus says, this is the new command. This is the one rule, the one thing of the new covenant. It's just one, the law of Christ. One command, 
It's not 613, it's not 10, it's not 2, it is 1. You love as Christ has loved you. You see, there's lots of loopholes in the 613. You can find loopholes in 10, you can find the loopholes in the 2, but you can't find very many loopholes, if any, in this one command because you love as Christ loved, and we know how Christ loved, and so that is how we are to love. Now, whenever I bring this up, sometimes people ask, well, what about loving God? (laughs) Just one command? What about loving God? I mean, well, let me allow some biblical authors to just answer that question. Uh, John says it this way in John 4, 7 to 8. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So John says that, that if you're loving deeply, you're loving God. So we just need that one command, John says. Matthew put it this way. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty or give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison or visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it for the least of these my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. That Jesus says, when you were loving that person who was thirsty, you were loving me. Jesus himself put it this way, John 15, you are my friends if you do what I command. Or you are loving God when you do what I command. Now, what did Jesus command? Well, right in the context. It's very clear, though, the one command. In John 13, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. And if you think Jesus got it wrong or misspoke, well, he says it right again. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. And if you're still confused, roll where he says it again right after that. This is my command. Love each other. So Jesus says, you are my friend. You are loving me. When you are doing this one command, loving each other as I have loved you. And this gets rid of all the crazy loopholes that we can find in life because we so easily want to make excuses not to love folks, especially the difficult folks, especially those who are different than us, who are different theology than us, that look different, that act different. Like we want excuses and we can use the loving God as an excuse, but no more. There's only one command, and that is you love God. God. Just as Jesus said, loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself summed up the entire Old Testament, we can say loving people as Jesus loves sums up the entire New Testament. This is the one thing we must do well in. This is the one major pinnacle command of the new covenant. It's not 613, it's not 10, it's not 2, it is 1. So we must do really, really well at this. And over and over again, the Bible tells us this. For instance, Romans 13, owe nothing to anyone. You don't owe a bunch of following rules and regulations. Jesus has fulfilled that. You don't owe anything to anyone because there's all, all these demands are gone. There's only one thing, only one thing. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. And here again, he says, 
when you are loving people, you are actually loving God. This is the one command that fulfills the entire law, the entire scriptures. It is the one command of the New Testament is to love people. You owe nobody nothing. No, we don't have to do anything except love people. And he goes right on in Romans 13 and says again that love is the fulfillment of the law. It is the fulfillment of everything. It is now the one command that we are actually under. Just one. We love as Jesus loved. This is the one thing we must be experts in. This is the one thing that we must smell of. This is the one thing when people see us or feel us or touch us or listen to us or around us, they should sense because it is the one thing that Jesus asks of us. Galatians says it this way, and we've looked at this verse a lot. Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. And in verse 13 it says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to what? Serve one another in love. We use our freedom to do what? To live out the one command, the one thing that Jesus asks us to do, the one thing that sums up all things, to love people well, to love people deeply. It is the one thing. In fact, Paul so very clearly says in Galatians 5, he says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Just imagine, what, just, just think about that. The only thing that counts. Now, we make it count for a lot of other things, like, you know, going to church all the time or doing all these religious activities or doing this or that or having a big, your doctrinal list perfect and Paul says, no, 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 there's only one thing that really, really counts because it's the one thing that Jesus asks of us. It's the one law that sums up everything. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. 1 Corinthians 13, just, just another way of saying, again, this, this is a thread all through the New Testament, and yet it's funny how often we miss this. 1 Corinthians 13 says it this way, if I could speak in all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I could understand all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge. And if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I'd be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is the one thing. It is the main thing. It is the one thing we need to do well. And yet, we just don't live this way. I mean, just imagine um, if, if there was a church in our community that, that I mean, everyone in could just speak in the, the, the most beautiful, heavenly languages of angels, of tongues. I mean, imagine if you went to that, the, the church and everyone had the most amazing gift of prophecy. Every week that you walked into the church, there was a word that was directly from God, and, and people were so filled with, with the, the words of knowledge that they knew all of God's secret plans. They had the end times all figured out because these people could so keenly hear God, and let's say they had faith that could move mountains. You walked into that church, and every single person was healed every single time. It was, it was just filled with power healing because they had faith that could move mountains. And, and let's say folks in that church, I mean, just, just beyond that, <laughs> 
were selling their cars and their properties and giving all their money away to the poor. I mean, I, I think I'd be in that church. <laughs> I mean, that, that church could sell books. That church would be the mega, mega, super mega church. I mean, everybody in the world would want to be a part of that church and be a part of that movement because it's anointed, it's powerful. But I tell you, if they don't have love, it's just noise. It's background noise. But the reality is, we run after those things. We, we think that is the be-all and the end-all when the Bible says, no, it's, it's love. I mean, God would rather a church that is filled with love and has maybe a little bit of messed up doctrine than a church that has all their doctrine right and, and not filled with love. I mean, God would rather a church that was filled with love and didn't have miracles taking place than a church that was filled with miracles and didn't have love. That's clearly what it's saying, that love is the main thing. It defines everything. It makes everything kingdom. I mean, prophecy and healings and faith and giving all your stuff away, it, it's not kingdom unless it's saturated in a deep love. Love is the main thing. It is the one thing. It is the bullseye. It is the thing we run after. It is the thing we must be experts in. So the question is, how is the church doing in this? I mean, if it's, this is the one thing, this is the only, only question on the test. <laughs> how is the church doing? And I don't ask that question to be mean, but I ask that question out of our text. John 13 says, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Then Jesus says this sketchy thing, <laughs> by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, Jesus could have said a lot of things. By this, by, by attending church and, you know, reading your Bible three chapters every day or reading through your Bible once a year or, you know, staying away from those kinds of people or whatever it might be, Jesus could have said a lot of things, but he said, no, 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 it's one thing. The one command of the new covenant and this one thing is going to determine whether people see us as true followers and that is, are we loving people? Do people see that in you? Do people see that in us? Do people see that in the church, that, that we are known by our love? And the reality is, we get a pretty big failing grade <laughs> in this. I mean, Keith Lummer said, the perception of many unbelievers is that Christianity is primarily an ethical code. It's heavy on right conduct, but light on redemption and grace. Oh, it's the exact opposite, because <laughs> the rules and regulations, are, they've been fulfilled by Jesus. We, we just have one, which is to love, and we're blowing it. I mean, just every poll says this, that, that, that the church is not necessarily known for its love. It's known for a lot of other things. I mean, people see Jesus very much as, as loving. A lot of people love Jesus, but when it comes to Christians, and they ask, well, what about Christians? They're, they're usually judgmental you know, self-righteous, they're, you know, they, they hate gay people, they're, you know, they're very political, and, and on and on and on, I mean, but Jesus said the one thing we should be known for is love, but the reality is we're not. Uh, Kinnaman, who does a lot of research uh, around different Christian topics, he says many of those outside of Christianity reject Jesus because they feel rejected by Christians. Again, we are to represent Jesus here. We are his ambassadors. And yet we still misrepresent him because we fail often to do the one thing that Jesus asks and we get caught up like the Pharisees and, and tithing our little mint and making sure we're doing this and this and we, and we miss the most important thing, 
the one thing that oversees all of our things, and that is that we would love each other. You know, in uh, 1555, there was this fellow by the name of Michael Servetus. He was charged by, under John Calvin, a famous theologian, and his council in Geneva for being a heretic. His heresy was that he did not believe that Jesus was eternal. And so they said to Michael Servetus, all you've got to say is that Jesus is eternal. And if you just say he's eternal, we won't kill you. But Michael Servetus, he refused to say that Jesus was eternal. And so John Calvin and his council deemed him a heretic. And they, they, they decided they were going to burn him at the stake. Again, if you want to find religious verses to back you up, they had theirs. Leviticus 24, 14, take the blasphemer outside the camp, then let the entire community stone him to death. And they're like, well, burning him is the same kind of thing. And that's why they burnt heretics. I mean, hundreds of thousands of heretics were burnt by the church throughout history. Uh, Similar to this, this is just one. But John Calvin and his council condemned him to die, to burn at the stake for for being a heretic, for having the wrong view of Jesus. And uh, sadly, the wood was green and it took him six hours to die. Now, they charged Michael Cervetus with, with being a heretic. But in my estimation, John Calvin and his council are the bigger heretics here. Because it really is not following the law of Christ. It's not following loving your enemies. It's not following love as Jesus is love when you're burning someone at the stake. And sure, having the wrong view of Jesus is wrong, but I tell you, the biggest heresy in the church is when you're not loving and again, there have been hundreds of thousands of people killed for having wrong doctrines and, you know, being a Protestant or being a Catholic or being an Anabaptist or being a Muslim and, and the church kills them because they have. But the biggest heresy should be that you're not loving. And I don't know of one example, and if there is, please tell me, one example of someone being charged with heresy for not being loving enough. I mean, just how backwards we've got it. <laughs> Jesus says, this is the one thing, the one command. Jesus says, says, this is how you're to be known. And yet, there are a lot of people who are so unloving, and we're like, eh, that's fine. But, but this person, the wrong view of something or other, I mean, they have the wrong view, and, and we attack them. Again, I mean, right doctrine, that's important. But not as important as love, because that is the one command, the one thing of the new covenant. In fact, sometimes, you know, uh, Christians, they, they freak out about, you know, you know, prayer have been taken out of the schools, and, you know, we're living in this secular land, and, and you, know, you know, I can't share my faith anymore at work, everything's so secular, and, you know, everything's coming down on Christianity, but do you realize the reason we have a secular state is because of the unlovingness of Christians? I mean, during the European religious wars, when, you know, eight to 12,000 Christians killed each other, it was creating so much trouble that the, the, the secular authorities were saying, you know, this is costing us too much money. We need to put an end to these Christians killing each other. And so in, in 1648, they came up with what was called the Peace of Westphalia. These were, these were non-Christians trying to bring peace to Christians killing each other. And this is where they brought in the, in the secular state, which says that you're no longer allowed to persecute others for having different, a different faith than you. The secular state is actually, if you go back, it's because of us, <laughs> because we haven't been loving. Uh, I mean, that's the reality. It, it was signed in, in, in Munster, the Peace of Westphalia. And, and to think we've gotten any better, I mean, this still happens today. 
And Eugene Peterson uh, just died in 2018. Uh, he wrote the message, sold 16 million copies of the message. Uh, beautiful uh, paraphrase of the Bible. And uh, he was known as one of the most loving folks ever. And he was a brilliant scholar, a brilliant theologian. He made so many devotionals. His books were ever, he changed so many people's lives. Very, very loving man. Just one year before his death, he was in, a, in an interview. And, uh, and the interviewer simply asked him, hey, if you were still a pastor, and in your church, if there was a gay couple who, who, were, who were faithful to Jesus and loved each other, would you marry them? And he says three letters, Y-E-S. That's all he says, yes. And I tell you, I mean, so many Christians went crazy. <laughs> they, they were like just, just ripping his whole ministry apart and condemning and saying the most nasty, horrible things. Lifeway, one of the biggest bookstores in, in uh, you know, all of the U.S., was trying to you know, pull all his books off the shelf and just three little letters, and all of a sudden, he's the biggest heretic ever. Yet I can point out lots of books in our bookstores of Christian leaders who are very, very judgmental who care nothing about unity and don't care seemingly a lot about love. They care a lot about power and control and, and everybody thinking just like them and their books are still on the shelves. You see, we have this issue where we've got it backwards, where love is not the most important thing, that we quickly call everything else a heresy except for the one thing that's most important, loving one another as Christ loves the church. If we got to get something right, we got to get the love thing right. It is the one command of the New Testament. And Jesus says, you are my friends. You love me when you do this. And yet, we're often going in all kinds of other directions. Nadia Weber said, you know, people don't leave Christianity because they stop believing in the teachings of Jesus. People leave Christianity because they believe in the teachings of Jesus so much that they can't stomach being part of an institution that claims to be about that and clearly isn't. And if you just don't know what's going on in Christianity right now, I do because I'm a pastor, I keep up on these things, there is a crazy exodus of people from the church right now. A lot to do with you know, what happened in the, in the States this last year and, and politics getting so tangled up in, in, in evangelicalism, but there are a lot of people leaving the church over this issue because they look at the church and say, you guys are not loving I see Jesus is loving, but the, but the church is not loving. They, they freak out about so many things, but they don't freak out about the importance of love. Now, I can't change church history, and I can't go back and, you know, fix everything out there, but I, I can start with my heart, and you can start with your heart, and getting back to the essential. It's not essentials, it's the essential, to love people as Christ loved us. It is the one thing that Jesus asks us out of the new covenant. Now the new covenant, of course, is all about his grace and he's the hero and, and we're forgiven and free and alive and sons and daughters. I mean, that's the main part of the new covenant, but there's only one thing he asks of us. The new command. Would we love as Christ loved us? And I tell you, for my own heart, if I'm going to err on anything, and I know it gets me in trouble here at times and has over the past <laughs> years here, but if I'm going to err on one thing, I will always err on the side of love. I won't err on the side of judgment. I'm not going to err on the side of, uh, you know, content. I'm going to always err on the side of love because of this one verse. 1 Peter 4, 8. Most important of all, 
Now, what would you put after that statement? I'll tell you, a lot of Christians would put a whole lot of other things other than what Peter says here. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. This is why if I'm going to, you know, I try to stay, you know, where Jesus wants me, but I'm going to err, I'm going to err on the side of love, because if I go wrong in love, at least it covers a multitude of sins, but I tell you, if you go towards judgment, it doesn't cover a multitude of sins, because, I mean, if you, if you judge, Jesus said, you're going to be judged more harshly. The most important, I mean, this, read your New Testament again, I just encourage you, read it again. You will see this thread all over the New Testament. The most important thing, the only obligation, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Again, as Galatians 5 says, I mean, we tend to think a lot of other things count, but this is the main thing. This is the bullseye. This is the center. This is the one command that we shoot for. Would you join me? And just starting a radical, new, fresh Christian movement the way Jesus started it in, in terms of love. That we would love people. That would be the main thing. And you know, I'm so proud of this church because, man, I, I, there, I know lots of people in this community because I grew up here. And there's so many people that say, you know, you know they're really loving folks at the junction. You know, they're, they're, they're awesome. They're really blessing to our community. We, we've gone a long way. And I'm proud of us. But we can keep going further as we make this the main thing because Jesus said this is the main thing that we would love those people around us the way Christ has loved us. So, Father, I, we ask for help in this. this. I ask for help in this. God, I still want to easily get tangled up in the, the little things. God, so I don't have to love the hard people. But, God, you said this is the main thing. And I pray you would just release the love that you have poured into our hearts. God, that the fruit of the Spirit, the very first one is love. The fruit of the Spirit is, is love. That that is the very first thing that people would see and sense and smell in our lives would be love. And God, that this church would be a church that does the one thing, the one thing so very well. So God, would you bless this in us. And God, we, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for life and uh, freedom and and goodness, and the example God He is in this whole thing, and, and God, we just absorb that again afresh into our being. In Jesus' name, amen.